Hello again. You're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. We're pleased to have you join us. Sometimes as a leader, you actually have to think through your decision and make it and just make it. Not every decision leaders make are the right ones or necessarily the best ones. When your life is nearing its end, there comes an urgency to say the things that need to be said to those whom you love. The Apostle Paul was approaching execution and in his letter to young Timothy, he poured out as a father would to a son, his final encouragements. Let's join Dr. Corbett now as he concludes his series, Dear Timothy, with a firm encouragement to fight, work and preach. Good evening. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them or open up your device, however you do it, to 2 Timothy and we are going to be in chapter 2 in just a moment. I, I came in tonight after having been at the LGH and saw Tom here and I said, Tom, you heard me say this morning that God willing we will have four services a Sunday when everyone's sort of back from figuring out that COVID's, you know, okay now, we can kind of manage. How do you feel about four services a Sunday? Now, I, don't, I was surprised to hear the language that came out of Thomas's <laughs> mouth. I think, and I quote, Thomas said, my heart skipped a beat, which is language, I've always understood that as, ah, oh, flutter of love. <laughs> but I don't think that's the way Tom meant it. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're uh, I just, you know, as a board, we were thinking, what do we do? What do we do? We, we've got a building that uh, we, if, if we were to see more people added to our church, we are looking at um, extending, which we, we, we could, but we're, we're talking now in terms of it, that costing a lot of money. Or we've got the very real option of uh, simply having multiple services. So we, as I mentioned this morning, we have some 350 or so people that call this church their home. We have a, at the moment a, capa a capacity to have 250 gather in our uh, main auditorium. We could do that four times over a Sunday, um, something like 9.30, 11 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and 5.30 or something like that in the afternoon. That would give us a church of a, a thousand people coming through our doors on a Sunday which uh, Tom and I think is pretty exciting. <laughs> Wasn't in the job description. I, I, do, I do remember hearing uh, the, the pastor um, who's on Monday nights on, on YFM, and he was saying that when he started his church, they couldn't get a building and they, they put, set up a tent, like a, just a big tent. And it, it had, I think it catered for a few hundred. Well, then they had a few hundred come. And so then um, Wayne Cordero said they got a bigger tent 
and that could have about a thousand come and they filled it and then they got a bigger tent and I think they I think it was about 2,000 or so and they could not get a bigger tent than 2,000 when you think about it would you want to you know it's like that's a massive tent man oh man and then uh, he, he cried out to God what do we do because we've got people who actually can't get into the tent now what do we do and and he said God spoke to him said you just need to start a second service and have it as a second congregation and so he did and uh, he had a bit of a grumble about it because he said you know I'm tired after doing a first service how am I going to do a second one I'll be even tireder and he was right he was and then they filled that one and then he went back to God and said now what do we do and he said the Lord spoke to him said you need to start another service so they ended up the, the story goes, he, at that point he said, I can't, I physically cannot do it. And the Lord said, that's right. That's why you need to get fitter. So he, he, he got a sea kayak and he, and he began going out sea kayaking to build up his fitness so that he had the stamina to be able to preach at three services a Sunday, uh, sort of back to back. They ended up, I think they ended up having, and that story went up to about seven services on a, on a weekend. And, and, and it just kept growing. It's about 30,000 now in the church. And the way they did it was they, they did their seven services a Sunday and then they started planting churches out and around. I think it's about, I think it's about 16 churches they've got and it's, they're all sort of satellite churches. So it's Quite, quite an amazing thing. And I heard him say that and I could relate. I could relate to feeling exhausted after one service as well. Well, I'm going to get a sea, a sea kayak and I'm going <laughs> to... Kim reckons I should get an e-bike and I keep going, no, 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 motor bike. And so anyway, she's, she's coercing me to get a, an e-bike so I can get fitter. So... Anyway, but this is what I know. Um, every, every step that God takes you on, and this is, I'm being quite serious, every step God takes you on, he gives you the grace to take that step. And, when we, and we were reflecting on this as a board last week, that when we embarked on doing the auditorium, we didn't have the money to do it. But we embarked trusting that we, would, that we were doing the right thing and God provided our need. And this is just, I just think it, there's a principle here that God gives you his grace when you actually need it, not when you think you want it in advance. I want to conclude looking at Paul's epistles to Timothy, 2 Timothy. We're going to have a look at essentially Paul's final injunction, his final charge to Timothy. I've mentioned the, the background to this in that Paul in his first epistle uses language like, when I'm soon to come to you, when I shall see you soon, things like this. And then, you know, there's a change. There's a, clearly a change as, as we read 2 Timothy because in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 6, Paul actually says essentially this, reading between the lines, it's cold here and I need a cloak. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, because he was under house arrest, 
Now he says, I'm now in chains. So something shifted because at the, the last chapter of Acts, Acts 28, we see Paul's under house arrest. But now in 2 Timothy, it really looks like he's been taken out of that house arrest and put into the, the guard of the Praetorian Guard. Now the Praetorian Guard, if you appreciate Roman history, these were the, the soldiers assigned to Caesar himself. And so this is uh, one step away, Paul is one step away from standing before Caesar. And so he's under Praetorian Guard. And he's, it seems, he knows this is not going to end the way he initially thought it would end. He knows, it seems, that his race has run. In fact, he uses that language. He uses language like a crown is set before me. I've run my race. My race is coming to an end. And now he's talking to Timothy. And he's talking to Timothy in the sense of, I thought we'd have more years together. But as it turns out, we haven't got any more time. So this is what I really want you to know. This is what I really want you to do. This comes, and I find this, I, as you know, I, I map out these, these preaching uh, calendars. Uh, and, and this past week, I met, I think, at least three pastors who have said that they've reached the end of their time in their church. And they have a baton in their hand, or a baton in their hand, that they want to pass to someone. And there's no one to take it. Spoke with one pastor who said that his associate pastor, an associate pastor is a, is a co-senior pastor. He said he's retiring and he said, you know, he's reached that age when he, you know, and he's, he's worn out now. And, we, and he said, but we've got, we've got no one and I need someone. Spoke with another pastor who said he was due to retire last year, but he's got to keep going another at least three years because he hasn't got anyone to pass the baton on to. I'm aware of about another 10 churches that cannot get a pastor. So if you, if you can just hear what's in the background of my thinking at the moment, as I listen to Paul talk to Timothy, as I look at this, I wonder where are the next generation of pastors coming from? Where are they? I recently saw a survey done of a group of Bible college students. There was about 16 of them in this class. And they were asked several questions, but the question that stood out to me was, do you intend to become a pastor in a church? Without exception, all of them said no. Now, this is, this is really odd for me because it was when I was an Assemblies of God pastor that there was an Assemblies of God college. You went to that college with one intention, to become a pastor. There was, that was why you went. In fact, the, the, the kind of the joke was you would go there single and come graduate out married. It wasn't called Bible College, it was called Bridal College. <laughs> and everyone knew it. And now people are going to 
Bible colleges for other reasons. And those reasons may well be noble. But one of the things that, if you'll forgive me, and, and I guess I don't necessarily talk this way on a Sunday morning in our Sunday morning service, but if you'll forgive me for, for making these comments and comments where it might sound like he's, it sounds like he's trying to recruit people into becoming pastors. And if you think that's what I'm saying, you are hearing me well. Because I do. I think I want to see young men, young women in our church put their hand up and say, I'm in. I'm in. And, and I mean that in the sense that God has called them and we confirm that call. So with that in mind, I want to look at Paul's final words to Timothy. This is what I call fight, work and preach. And what I appreciate about what Paul is going to say to Timothy is that it's grounded in reality. The reality of this is really what it looks like. So let's have a look. This is the first two verses of chapter two. I'll read these, these two verses, and then we'll pray. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So let's pray. Father, as we open your word now, I pray, Lord, that you would stir the hearts of those present and those who are listening to me perhaps far away. And God, I pray that you would help us as a church and as believers to play our part in seeing people raised up to become servants of God who will give their life over to make this their full-time work. I pray, Father, that as I come to the end of my race over whatever time you have ordained, that, Lord, the baton that is currently in my hand will be placed in the hand of another. And Father, I pray that you would help each of us to play our part, that we would be a church characterised by good, strong leadership that cares, that does things according to your word, that loves people, helps people to love you, and cares for those who need our care. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice this verse. This is Paul's, remember, final words to Timothy. See what he's telling Timothy to do? And for me, this is actually, and I was impressed by this again when I marked the work of a, of a student. Here I am talking about Bible colleges. Of course, we, Kim and I are a part of a Bible college. And one of our students actually specifically, even though he's not in Australia, specifically asked to study with us which is odd because he's in Nairobi. And so I'm, I'm managing, mentoring a, a student from Kenya. And he recently did a, a project on the life of George Whitfield. Now, if you know anything about George Whitfield, George Whitfield was a friend and a fellow student at Oxford with John Wesley. You should, I hope, have heard of John Wesley. If you haven't, go and talk to Mrs. Brain. Her father was a Methodist 
minister. The Methodist church was something as a, of a legacy of John Wesley. George Whitfield was a brilliant man. He was incredibly smart. He was apt in Biblical Greek, Biblical Hebrew, Aramaic and so on. He was a great preacher. Tens of thousands of people gathered to hear George Whitfield. At one point, and he was such a creative preacher, and by the way, he was preaching to some 25,000 people in open fields. Without amplification, we're talking 1740 to 1780. We, you know, and, and there's no doubt about it, George Whitfield was an, was an incredible man. He did a message on the day of judgment, the return of the Lord, the trumpet sound of the Lord. But he was a sneaky blighter because in this field, surrounded by trees, he had trumpeters hidden in the trees. And having warned about the trumpet sound and the judgment of God, there was a cue when all of them just let rip on their trumpets. I should take a note of that. I should try. Anyway, <clears throat> so he was creative. And this is, what, this is what people came to hear him because what is he going to do next? He moved to America as a young man in his 20s, I believe. So did John and Charles Wesley. And thousands gathered to him and it became known as the Great Awakening in America. Then he got sick and he was quite unwell and he had a falling out with John Wesley. His falling out with John Wesley centred on a, a, a point, I was going to say a minor point, but it's actually not a minor point, a point of theology. And, the, and the, this, this breakdown in their friendship was, was so sad. And it, but at the end of his life, as his life was drawing to a close, he didn't think it would end so suddenly, but as his life was drawing to a close, he wrote, having seen what John Wesley had done, because John Wesley had a different approach to ministry. George Whitfield's approach was to be the best preacher, arguably the best preacher in the world, and he was. That wasn't ever John Wesley's ambition. John Wesley's ambition was twofold, to lead as many people to Christ as he could and to train as many people to take care of those people as he could. And he developed what's called, wait for it, a method for doing this. Hence, the movement was called the Methodist Movement. And so at the end of... <laughs> Just excuse me. This part of the crowd is much more responsive. I'm <laughs> going to preach up this end. And so what happened was Whitfield got to the end of his life, hadn't pastored a church, been a great preacher. Hadn't, there wasn't anyone to hand a baton on, on to. And he died. But before he did, he, he lamented this and he wrote this. I have preached and built castles of sand Wesley has preached but trained men and will leave a legacy that will last and last and last and he was exactly right you know you build a sand castle on the beach it's not there tomorrow and that's 
That was the difference that George Whitfield. that's the difference. Now, if you've ever read a, a sermon by, by John Wesley, quite frankly, you, if you're struggling to get to sleep at night, you might want to read one of his sermons because they'll do it for you. But yet he had an ability to get young men, young women, and, and fire them up and train them to be able to become pastors and preachers. Extraordinary. Now, did you notice this scripture? You notice what Paul's telling Timothy? Does he tell him to be the best preacher in town? The best preacher in all of Asia Minor? The best preacher? No, he doesn't. See what he's telling his protege? Paul the one who never went into a town and planted a church on his own. He never did. He always went in. You count them in Acts. Sometimes it was as many as six people he would go into a town with. And it was like this. Watch what I do. Now you go and do it. Someone else did that, didn't they? Hmm. So this is what I've discovered about the most effective pastors they focus on training others to carry out the work of ministry now i know i'm not a good trainer i know that i know kim is she's remarkable but i'm not i know that the most effective pastors aren't necessarily the best preachers and it's really frustrating because i've tried to work at preaching and i see guys who kind of fumble they you feel sorry for them they they they, they read that they read word for word their notes if one of their pages falls off it's like wait a minute i've got to you know and and it's like oh this is hard to watch and yet they can build a church of thousands why because they train people they they connect with people well so I've got lots of gaps that I need people to fill. We, we need people now as we I come in to what I'm now calling our COVID recovery season where we do have people who can take up those positions that we, that we were doing and we call them service attendants, people who can show people to see. It's, you know, the other week, just coming in and looking, you couldn't see where the empty seats were. And I'm, I'm getting out of my seat. I'm walking down the back. I'm saying to someone, there's a couple of seats over here. And I'm, ta- I'm taking them. And I'm thinking, I'm not doing a good job here. I should have, I should have trained someone to be able to do that. I mean, and it's not, it's not hard. And so I listen to what Paul's telling Timothy. And I think, man, oh man, this is Paul telling Timothy how to be not necessarily successful in the eyes of whatever audience, but effective, effective. Now listen to what he he says to Timothy as part of his training of the next generation or those that he's responsible for. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And when I hear that, when I read that, I think this is verses three and four. It sounds like Paul is saying, Timothy, this is important. This is so important. You have to give your life to it. You have to focus on it. One of the things that I did say to Tom when he said that his heart fluttered at the sound of four services, I think you need a different metaphor there, brother Tom. But 
um, is, is this, that when we get to that point, you're actually, we actually have someone, we have to have someone who's actually dedicated, not saying Tom's not dedicated, but, but can do the legwork through the week, because there'll be a lot of legwork to do through the week. We currently have two vacancies in our own church that we need filled as well, which I put in the, the e-news, the prayer points of the e-news this week. So we, we, we want to see people trained. We really do. Tony wants to see people take up positions of serving and volunteering in our church. Donna wants more people to volunteer in the care team. The kids' church want more people to volunteer in the kids' church. And now our part of our pursuit as staff pastors is, again, to help people to come. Let's, okay, let's come out of COVID lockdown mentality and let's, let's put a hand up. Let's get back in the game here. Now, Paul says in the next couple of verses, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to first have a share of the crops. And it just strikes me that a hardworking farmer has to get up really early in the morning. I don't know if you've ever taken a look at Joe when he comes into church this morning. He was wearing a t-shirt and shorts and he would have been up, I know he would have been up about four o'clock already working on the farm and he comes in and he's working hard. Now that's that four o'clock, that's dark. No one sees anyone bringing the cows in at four o'clock. And I think Paul's metaphor here is really interesting. The, the athlete who competes, how, does the athlete do nothing through the week? Nothing over weeks? There's the competition and just races and wins? That's not how it works. When Kim and I were coming back from the northwest coast yesterday, I happened to notice on the uh, Rubicon River, there were, there were two canoeists and, and a bloke in a boat going along, like a motorboat going alongside, yelling at them through a megaphone. I thought, oh, that looks like... That. And I don't know if they're Olympian trainers. I don't know. But it looked like it. And I'm thinking, man, oh, man, the, the Olympics coming up soon. I wonder if these people are training for the Olympics because I, I know they come down to Tasmania and they, they do that kind of training. But it means that it takes dedication, Timothy, if you want to get this right, if you want to prepare people, it's going to take hard work and dedication. But here's one of the necessary skills that Paul says Timothy needed to demonstrate. One of the primary skills of leadership. In fact, you cannot be a leader without this skill. So have a look at this. This is, if I was to ask you, what is the one skill? If you could have just one skill given to you by God, what skill would you have in order to be a good leader? Any ideas? Wisdom? To do what? Whatever needs to be done. June? Encourage the team. These are all good answers. Be a listener, be a communicator. A mind reader! <laughs> be able to break big... I'm going to write some of these down. I'm not doing any of these. These are great. A delegator. Well, clearly we don't have what Donna said we need because what I'm going to <laughs> say here is, is and, I'm, <laughs> and maybe we should have read the scripture first, but have a look. This is the, the skill, the skill before all of those skills, because they're all good, by the way, especially the mind read a bit, Donna. That's awesome. <laughs> Let me know how you do that. <laughs> is, is Paul's going to tell Timothy how you make a decision, 
how you make a decision. If you think about it, if you, if you want to be a leader and you can't make a decision, who's going to follow you? <laughs> who's, who's going to be prepared to follow you? So what is the advice Paul is going to give Timothy for how you make a decision? If I was to ask you, how do you make a decision? How do you make a decision? I know that some of you would say, well, if it's a really big decision, I fast and pray about it. I've heard people say that. If it's a, a minor decision, I might, you know, do, 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 whatever. So here's, have a look at this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Sometimes as a leader, you actually have to think through your decision and make it and just make it. Not every decision leaders make are the right ones or necessarily the best ones. But when you make decisions based on the best information you've got, people tend to go with you. And at the end of it, if it hasn't worked out, they'll go, well, that didn't work, but I'm glad we did something. I'm glad we made a decision. My experience is oftentimes you can make a decision and just the fact that you make a decision gives you a sense of we're going somewhere. And it actually kind of works out, kind of works out. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Now, Paul reminds Timothy of why Jesus was so effective as a leader. Jesus was a mind reader. Actually, he was, Donna. He really was. He was a very good mind reader. John says he needed no man to tell him what was in the heart of men, for he knew everyone's thoughts. There you go, Donna. He was a mind reader. So this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Think over these decisions. And then the next verse, remember Jesus Christ. He's just opened up this chapter. Train others. Find, but it's not just train others. I hope you saw that. It's not just find people who you can train and pour your heart and mind and life into. It's train people who know how to train others who they can pour their life and heart and ministry into. It's train trainers. It's multiplication, not addition. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains. There's that expression, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. So here Paul is, is saying, train people who can train people. And that's what Christ did with his disciples. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This is what he did. This is what Jesus did. This is what you should do as well. So here Paul goes on and he tells Timothy that you may have to suffer a bit in doing this. Paul was anticipating that what he was about to go through in Rome was about to be symptomatic of what was about to happen across the empire. And indeed it was. There was a campaign that was launched in 64 AD by the then Caesar to execute as many Christians as they could find. Hundreds of thousands of Christians would be martyred during this time. And this is what we see Paul saying to Timothy, that's, that 
Christ is calling some to pay a high price so that they can receive a greater reward. The higher the price you pay, it seems like the more Christ is going to reward you if you're doing it clearly with the right heart. So this is what Paul says to Timothy. It's the main work. In fact, he uses the term a good worker, a workman in this description. It's the main work of a pastor elder. And you've heard me say those two terms are really synonymous. So this is what he says in verse 15 of chapter 2. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is the main job of those who will shepherd God's people, that their word work will be done as an act of do your best, do your best, just do your best. Do you notice the difference between the expressions be the best and do your best? Yeah, one, it's, one is an impossible standard, but the other one is your standard. It's you, you just, you, just do your best. Just do your best. And that word work is done by those things, teaching, preaching, modeling and here's the last word and if i said to you etc would you have picked this next word enduring that's why i don't like the word etc whenever i see one of my students write such and such such and such such and such etc i circle it in red and say don't ever write that because i don't know what the next word is so this next word paul uses is the word enduring enduring think about it we have someone who's prepared to endure hardship and they are prepared. It's in verse 10 there where Paul says, Therefore I, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And he goes on and he cites uh, what, what appears to be a hymn of the ancient church about suffering and enduring. And then we come down to verse 24 and 25 where Paul says to Timothy, the Lord's servant, pastor, elder, someone committed full time to doing this, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, not gifted, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Remember David Pawson when he was alive? He was... He was um, an internationally invited speaker. He was invited to speak all over the place. And then suddenly it dried up and he couldn't understand it. And what happened was someone was slandering him and spreading these rumours about him to all these, all these places he was going to preach and they cancelled the invitations for him to come. And da when David Pawson found out, none of it was true. When David Pawson found out, he was so angry at this small-minded person who did this. And he went to God and he said, God, have you heard what this person is saying about me? It's so unfair. God, do something about it. And he says he distinctly heard the voice of God at that moment and said, David, would you rather they know what you're really like than what this person is telling them you're like? 
and it caused, caused him to go, actually, let's just leave it there, shall we? And he just changed his attitude about the person who was slandering him because he realised it wasn't true and he realised eventually people who knew him would know it wasn't true and everything would work out and it did. It did. Notice this patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So Paul warned Timothy that despite, despite your best teaching efforts, Timothy, despite that, there would be some who would hear you Sunday by Sunday by Sunday and not get a thing you're saying. Not only would they not get a thing you're saying, you would be encouraging them to live a life completely dedicated to Christ where their, their thought life changed, their actions changed, they become more Christ-like, they begin to care for people more and yet while you might expect that to happen, the opposite was happening. And Paul says this of them, they are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. They just don't get it. And it shows that real knowledge is not what you've got up here. It's what you do, what you do with what's up here. That's when you know it, when you can put it into action. So despite these pastoral disappointments, Paul is telling his protege, Timothy, in this final letter to him. Pastors and elders must be faithful, still faithful, to teach and model God's word. And it can be very frustrating when you're dealing pastorally with people who are going, you know, you could draw the, the cycle of their life. They, they get it, they repent, they rededicate their life to God. They, they then drift away, make a dumb decision, blame God, stop going to church. Everything goes worse, 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 bad. They come to you to solve their problems, you tell them maybe you should just dedicate your life to God and back they go. And it goes on and on and on. And Paul, that, that seems to what Paul is saying and he's saying despite that discouragement and setback, keep going Timothy. Keep preaching, keep teaching, keep modelling the word of God. You, however, he says in chapter 3 and verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my way in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. All the things he's told Timothy, this is what you should do. And you know it can be done, Timothy, because you've seen me do it. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the Greek word graphe, where in English we get the word scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verses 16 and 17. If you haven't got this highlighted in your Bible, you should. If you haven't got it underlined in your Bible app, you should. All scripture, there's the same word, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work and then Paul finishes his epistles and this charge this closing charge to Timothy 
is a closing charge to every elder, every pastor. It's applicable to us who are pastors and elders. And here it is. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Notice those words. Notice that Paul is charging Timothy to teach the word, live the word, endure all the flack, all the disappointment you get while you're doing it. And despite that, despite that, he says, keep going. So here's the challenge. Would you please stand with me? The challenge is that we want to be a church that becomes a seedbed for pastors and elders, not just for our church, but to go from our church to other churches around Australia and maybe even outside of Australia to encourage them. So if we, if we give a young person a go at perhaps preaching or teaching or having a go, it'd be really nice if you came up to them and encourage them. Because I want to see someone reaching out to take the batons that are in the hands of pastors that are finishing their race. Father, I pray that you would help us to heed the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy and be the kind of church where we heed the word. A church where we are not always being taught but never getting it. But a church, Lord, where we are taught the word, we see the word lived out, we know what to do with it, we catch the ball. And Father, we throw the ball to someone else in a way that they can catch it too. Father, help us to raise up home group leaders who can share your word with others. Help us, Lord, to raise up those who can show care and hospitality to others. And Father, help us to be able to bring people in who know nothing about Christ and his word and to show them Jesus and to show them your word. Now, Lord, I pray that we might know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. As we've heard tonight, Paul exhorted young Timothy to be ready in season and out of season to preach the word, work and fight for the gospel of Christ. His words echo through the centuries and are as valid for us now as they were when Paul wrote them. That concludes Dr. Corbett's series, Dear Timothy. We hope you've gained some valuable insights from the writings of the Apostle Paul. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.